Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casazza, welcoming in Chris Anderson with a bit of bad news, Chris. What's that? I have been named the managing editor of the Minnesota 24-7 site. <laughs> this is going to be awkward. It's a unique situation. Very unique. I'm sure we can work it out as gentlemen. A lot of people say I shouldn't cover this game. That, that, hey, that's one way to get out of uh, working on Christmas. Hey, that's a good idea. <laughs> hey, credit to Kirk Shiraka for that one there. Get out of this bowl game that evidently a few people want to be a part of um, by just switching allegiances and, and taking the gentleman's path out of it, too. Let's, uh, let's get into this right away. Bowl mania, maybe, gets spiced up a little bit by some analyst-to-coordinator transaction. West Virginia's sleuthy... Um, Search for an offensive coordinator maybe hits a rail. I don't know. Or goes off the rail, hits a bump. I'm not sure they're looking for an offensive coordinator, but certainly incorporated Kirk Shiraka from an analyst position to something greater in the second half of the season. Results are debatable. Hard, obviously, to get details, but I think it's easy to say that the offense was better in the second half of the season. It's extremely relative, but it was better. It played above um, previous numbers, previous levels. How involved was he? How involved could he be? Versions of the truth will vary there, I'm sure. But it doesn't matter. He was brought here to kind of get himself situated and get back into college football coaching at a high level. And here he goes back to Minnesota to be the offensive coordinator. Has a history of P.J. Fleck uh, at Rutgers and then working for Fleck at Western Michigan and Minnesota. They've won a lot of games, had really good offenses there, made a lot of money together. Don't forget that. Um, And here he is. He'll cross enemy lines and be – I would assume the offensive coordinator for the bowl game. Uh, He's already been officially named there. I know people want to get worked up about this. I feel like it's a cool storyline. It'll be something that ESPN can get into. People can write about it and talk about it. I think it matters a little bit, but on the large, on the whole here, I largely have no problem with this. This is kind of like what the analyst job is supposed to do for coaches. Just happens to be a highly coincidental situation though. Yeah, as I say, there's no uh, ill will or anything towards Soraka here because, I mean, this was this is the, like you said, this is the goal. Guys who spent time as a coordinator or a head coach or even position coaches that then take analyst positions, the entire point of that is to build back up their resume and or buy time until they can get a position, a coaching position again. And that's how it worked. That's what he's doing. That's what it did. It just so happened to be. That's the team that West Virginia is going to play in the bowl game. So timing's a little funny. Situation's a little awkward, I guess. But um, like you said, it, a lot of a lot of talk about it. We got several questions, which we'll run over in just a second uh, from readers about this situation. And yeah, ESPN can talk about it. Who knows? Hey, maybe uh, West Virginia can leak to them how they actually call plays, uh, or West Virginia did over the last six games. Now that uh, that's going to be a hot topic. Yeah, maybe someone can ask Kirk that question. I'm going to get in touch with Ryan Burns and see if he can get to the bottom of this. Because all that we know is, like, he he couldn't coach and he couldn't call plays because an analyst can't do that. And they never transitioned him from analyst to coordinator. There's there's a paperwork process you have to go through. That never happened. They gave him a headset, and he was visibly involved, you could tell. And also, Neil Brown wasn't involved. One replaced the other in some part of the mechanism. And again, the offense was better. Let me ask you, Chris. People are crying over spilled milk here. How much milk is there? Was the offense so much better? This is a huge loss. Do you mourn the progress that could continue with him continuing on in some capacity? Or was this just kind of one of those things where the six games at the end of the season were better than the six of the first? You have an entire winter, spring, and summer to address whatever you lose by losing Kirk Shiraka. Wait, what did you, how did you put it? It's all relative. Mm-hmm. I mean, better than pretty much terrible. It's still not great. 
Um, and if you look at the splits for the season, uh, granted that those first couple months or first few weeks are tainted a little bit by the LIU game, but here's the yards per play broken up by third, like a trimester, four games, four games, four games, 5.48 for the first four, 6.24 for the next four, and then 4.78 for the last four. So actually the games in November, the four games in November as a whole, and granted that include the Oklahoma State game. So that's really going to you know throw a wrench in those, those numbers. But uh, the November, the numbers were actually worse than at any other four-game stretch during the year. So it's all relative. I don't think it was some big, huge leap that the offense took. Uh, they benefited from the fact that TCU is terrible at everything that West Virginia is good at. Texas is terrible at all the things that West Virginia is good at. Kansas is terrible at all the things West Virginia is good at. So really, the big, you know, shining thing here was that that Iowa State game. That's the one that just kind of throws everything off and makes you think that there might have been something really changed and something different there. But uh, as a whole, the offense wasn't that much better in the second half of the year than it was in the first. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what type of trade secrets that he's going to have either, because what you just mentioned is, I mean, absolutely what's true about this team. If you can do certain things on defense, pressure the passer, cover receivers, um, you have a good chance. I, I think West Virginia complicates that by being a little bit more effective running the ball. And I would say efficient, too. They don't take a lot of TFLs now, so that's good. But conversely, if you can't stop the run and you can't cover receivers, you're going to have a hard time. If you can't get pressure on the pass and you can't cover receivers, you're going to have a hard time. And we can talk about Minnesota and how they line up here, but I really think it's that easy. And I'm not sure that West Virginia could put in a bunch of new stuff on offense, just the amount of time they, they don't have to where maybe Sharaka is giving him secrets, but he's feeding him poison and they do something different. So I don't think you're going to see anything that elaborate. The big thing to me would be signals. You remember many years ago when they played A&M in the bowl game in Memphis, Liberty Bowl, uh, Spavadol was the coordinator and they got in the announcement and he called Holgerson and said, good luck, I have all your signals and hung up. And they kind of had to re really redo everything because Dana had, he'd had the signals for a long time, I guess, and they change a little bit all the time, but it's easy to get keys off of that stuff. And I think he had been gone for one season, right? So yeah, that stuff was pretty fresh. I don't know how many signals Shiraka would know because he can't coach. Like, how much time is he paying attention to the signals when he knows he can't call them in and coach them? He's not critiquing the the mechanism of the the many you know snipers and shields and tear gas or whatever that West Virginia uses to call in plays. So. I don't know how much he would have to do with that, but I'm assuming that there is some alteration that'll have to happen. But beyond that, you kind of are what you are. You watch film and you figure that out. I don't think that an analyst going to an offensive coordinator is going to be that big of a difference there. Signals, sure, but I'm not even sure how significant that'll be. Yeah, what what, what did you call him? The Crayola crew? Uh, how is he even supposed to figure it out when you got four different guys in four different color shirts putting in signals at the same time? So I think if you could switch up I mean, it's a lot like for anybody that played baseball, if you're not familiar with the football stuff, there is some kind of indicator that tells the quarterback which of the color codes to pay attention to, which which coach to pay attention to uh, based on their shirt, based on an indicator. And so I think if you can change that up, mostly the indicator, because they're sending in four different, three, four different singles. I can't remember how many people, how many different colored shirts there are down there, but they're sending in three or four different signals at the same time. And, you know, if there's four, three of them are decoys and only one of them is the right one. So, and the indicator tells the quarterback which one's the right one. Well, if you change the indicator, you might be able to confuse uh, Soraka and take him out of it anyway. Are you familiar with guaranteed rate at all? I'm going to be, I have a feeling. It's a mortgage company. Right. I would guess doing pretty well if they can sponsor a bowl game, but... What you do, you go to their website and you fill out like this like quick impromptu application. Um, you give them your property information, some of your personal information, uh, your income, what assets you have, your credit score. You go, I think that's how you call plays. Huddle and fill out like a down and distance, personnel on the field, score, time left on the clock, uh, personnel on the other team, and you just you get a play as a result. You press submit and you get the play. There you go. Good news about this game, Chris. Mm -hmm. It'll be over by midnight. 
these two teams do not like to pass the ball very much or very uh, aggressively. West Virginia can and might because this defense they're facing is not fun. But Minnesota, I, I think I have this right. Um, the fifth, no, sixth in runs per game, one, two, and three are service academies. They are fourth in percentage of pass plays behind the service academies. They don't like to pass the ball, um, which is amazing because they've lost, I think, four scholarship running backs this year. They played two true freshmen at the end who combined for like 1,100 yards. Pretty good. But their defense is good too. So I don't I don't know how much we'll be seeing passing. And I think it's a grass field they roll in. So it won't be a fast track. So this could be a quick game. I know we're not happy about 1030, but this could go by pretty fast. Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers right now. You take out Air Force, Navy, Army, service academies, as you mentioned. Minnesota throws the ball the least of any team in the country. Outside of them, in total, With a good passes. quarterback too, like a good quarterback. Yeah, two hundred two hundred forty-four passes on the year. Two hundred forty-four. He was better with Bateman on the team and and some guys who got hurt, but like, well, coach eight and four, and then have played really well at the end of the season, especially on defense. Longest active streak in the country for total offense under three hundred yards against them. Six straight games. So, if you want to dig yourself out of a two and two hole. And you're limited offensively. You lean on what you can do. You run the ball despite some injuries, and you play defense. Six and two in the last six games again haven't allowed 300 yards and did a number on some some pretty I don't know good teams or good offenses what you want to call it. But the Big Ten's been pretty good, and to go six and two on the back end is is impressive there too. So interesting matchup. We can get way more in depth on that in the future. But any initial or general thoughts about this for you besides the fact that it's a new opponent in a lousy space on the bowl calendar. <laughs> An absolutely lousy space. I think probably, I don't want to say it's my least favorite, but I mean, I think the players will like it being in Arizona. That'll be fun. Be nice weather. Um, hopefully get to do some bowl game festivities, but Minnesota, while a decent team, you know, they're a good team. It's just not much excitement. And I know they feel the same way. So it's not like I'm saying anything that they don't feel the same way either. I mean, they're looking over and saying, wait, we're playing a six and six West Virginia team that, it is not very exciting on offense and losing guys on defense. Like what kind of bowl game is this? And meanwhile, West Virginia is looking over and saying, wait, playing a big 10 team that has no connection to our school other than now hiring an analyst. And they've lost to Bowling Green and Illinois. What is this? So it's just not a very, I don't want to downplay it. We want everybody to be excited about it. Uh, come to the site check everything out, but it, you know, it, it's, it's one of those where it's going to be a hard sell for, I think a lot of the people trying to put on this game. I watched a little bit of, I just kind of clipped through their game against Colorado. They beat the crap out of Colorado. Yeah. I, I think held them under 90 yards, maybe under 80 yards, something like that. But like, it was just a clinic on defense and that was a shutout 30 to nothing. Um, and Colorado had some problems. It turned out because they scored 34 points in four games. Not great. Uh, but the Big Ten was kind of good, right? I mean, I know that it's going to be celebrated because of Michigan getting there and Ohio State being there at the end. But, like, I mean, they're they're 6-3 and three in the conference. But, like, Wisconsin was good. Um, I'm trying to think who else here. Nebraska was a tough out. Purdue was fun. Michigan they beat State Maryland. Was obviously good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can do a common opponent thing here, I guess, too. Yeah. Right? And, again, had no trouble. I mean, they got a humming. They're, they're, they're good. The Illinois game is the one that doesn't make sense to me. I can I can understand losing to Ohio State and giving up ten yards of play. I can understand losing to Iowa. Um, I don't know what the heck happened to Bowling Green. I'll have to look at that one. But that doesn't make any sense. It's almost one of those things you're like, all right, just kick that to the side because they won two in a row before that and four in a row after that. The Illinois one, fourteen to six, doesn't. I don't. That one doesn't compete. I have to check that one out too. That's something I'm going to look into here. Uh, finally, before we get into it, basketball. The mm-hmm. initial net is out. How much do you? invest in the initial net rankings not the West initial Virginia, hmm? not, not not much in the initial sorry go ahead well because they're 73 mm-hmm. um break a little news here not very good no um and here's some more it's gonna be hard to move up you can move up but if a team is 73 with their their uh rankings right now um it's gonna be difficult because so many teams are ahead of them but they have a lot of opportunities but I didn't realize their schedule was as bad as it was, and they're really lucky that Oakland has been as good as it has been this year. Zero quad one games, which 
I, I mean, I, I know that there's, those two games were neutral site games, so I was trying to think, like, hey, that gives you a little leeway because obviously what qualifies as quad one changes based on home, road, neutral. And I thought for sure Marquette game, Clemson might even be in there. Neither of them. Neither of them. Both, both quad two. Marquette got blown out by St. Bonaventure right after that, too. So that didn't help. Um, yeah. And then, man, just some of their some of the numbers of the teams that they played are, whew, I, I don't know if they missed on these teams or if they weren't any good. But, again, their their best game so far is Oakland. And yeah. they're 7-2 and two with six road neutral wins, which is the most in the country. That's, that's helpful for sure. But it all changes, and, and really fast, too. So they haven't played a road game yet. They played three on the road in their next seven. That'll help them out a little bit, provided they win. And then just a ton of games against quad one and two teams in Big 12 play, but also Wednesday against UConn. And I don't know if it's got to have it games, but, like, if you really want to validate your non-conference, you're going to have to have this one, I think, or else you're putting all your eggs in the the interrupting Big 12 trip to Arkansas, which might be tough. I think Arkansas is 44, but they're, they're, they're still undefeated. I'm not sure how good their schedule is. They're the number they're the second lowest ranked undefeated team in the net. So that's not a good indication of their schedule, but still, it's been a good program. Um, but man, if they get this one, it's good. They're without two starters, UConn that is, but they're 13 in the net. So to get a home win in the quad one, that would change things. Uh, we can talk more about the game after it happens, but going into it, important because of how bad the schedule has been or important because of how hard the schedule will be. Both. I mean, it, it's it, it's important because I think it's going to be the first the first true test since the first true test um, that that Marquette game. Again, I, we talked about it afterwards. I just felt like that was such a teaching moment for for Huggins. And I don't think he's going to have any more of those. I mean, he's going to have teaching moments, but not in the fact that he's just going to sit back and let it happen. Um, and, and this is going to be the first real true test. I know that Clemson game was a little toes, uh, close, but the first real true test here since then, and it's an opportunity, as you mentioned. This is this is a quad one win. This is a a marquee kind of game. It's going to be national television. A lot of people watching. The opportunity to move to eight and one with one big solid win right there in front of a lot of people. And uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be crediting him. For this, I think you might have already asked it, but uh, I, I got this message sent to me by fake Bob Huggins, who I'm still convinced is the actual Bob Huggins. Uh-huh. Um, UConn has not played a road game with more than 2,000 fans since February of 2020. <laughs> so, like, this is this is a chance to kind of for West Virginia and the fans and everybody to to kind of impact that game and and get a big win right here because yeah they have not been road tested to say the least and this could be a hostile environment in front of a lot of fans and, and on national television for west virginia one more we can get into our questions here uh west virginia could play 15 players they played 14 last game and didn't have sean mcneil they 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 believe they have something with senny Njai and i guess seth wilson as well i'm not sure that you'd see taj thweet or or jamel king but a capacity to play, let's say 13, 12 people here. UConn wasn't a great big rotation before losing two starters. This is a game that you maybe you, you play who you trust and you narrow it down to eight or nine, or this could be an opponent that is, is going to be bothered by its roster situation. And if you can throw 12 or 13 at them, that might expedite their demise. If you're really good on defense and rebounding too, which direction you think Huggins goes uh, chips in the middle because you got to win the game. So narrow your circle. Or chips in the middle because you got to win the game. Let's throw the house at him and see what happens. Uh, history tells me that he's going to uh, tighten in the rotation zone. That's what he likes to do once he, the, the games get a little tougher. I like your idea, though, of, of just going kind of balls to the wall with 14, 15 guys, pressing, running them up and down the court and trying to make the most of it. Because, yeah, UConn doesn't have a big rotation. They don't have a lot of depth. And with two guys out, they could really kind of run them ragged. We'll know more Wednesday night, 7 p.m., uh, more than 2,000 people. I would say many times more than 2,000 people. We'll see how um, Hurley, Huskies, the Big East fares against the Big 12 and the visit of the Coliseum. 
But now let's get into the questions. Subscribers ask Chris and I answer. Do what we can to get as many as we can. Chris cleans up with a written version. Take it away. Let's start where we started. Um, start the mailbag portion with where we started the entire podcast. Uh, a series of uh, Kirk Soraka or The Rock, if you will, questions. Beginning with Lighten, let's keep it simple, straightforward. Quote, did we try to retain Kirk Soraka? Good luck getting an answer. Um, I would say this. West Virginia wanted him to be the offensive coordinator. I think he could make a compelling argument that he would be. Neil Brown would have made that change um, in the in, in the season because you've seen that a lot. And obviously, due to the amount of extending of contracts they've done and the money they've committed to assistant coaches, they're not afraid to spend. I don't think that could be an excuse anymore. I've been over that. I'm not going to repeat it. But if they wanted him to be the offensive coordinator, that would have happened. And – I also think there's a, a strong pull for Sharaka to be back with Leck. Again, won a lot of games, made a lot of money together. I also don't think that Sharaka is out on being a head coach at some time in his career year. I don't think he's that old. So if he can get into a position where he's been successful before, that could help him. I would say that they did not try to make it happen because it would have happened. If they wanted him, I think they could have done something at the end of the season, which makes you think that, like, was this a, a thing about we know we're not going to keep him because Minnesota and Fleck are – Minnesota and Fleck, there's a history there. It could be tough to do. Uh, I could see that being more of an outcome than West Virginia tried and failed. I just don't think that they made an effort for it. And I think that it got to this point, and it just kind of is what it is. And you realize that you have a conversation with a guy that you helped, and he helped you, and you said, listen, what's the reality of, of you continuing on in some capacity? And whatever the answer was, ended up like this. I'm with you. I mean, he's he's, I think, at this point in his career and what he's done, for him, it's a question of if he's not an analyst, it's going to be a coordinator or head coaching spot. I don't think he's going backwards to a, a position, posi- a position um, coaching, a position coaching position. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, and so are they going to make that move? I think I'm with you. If, if they wanted to make that move, they would have made it. I don't think they would have been afraid to. Um Honestly, I didn't know which way they would go because there, there is that feel. I mean, there was no secret that Sharaka was, what, the first choice that first time around when Neil Brown was trying to make an offensive coordinator hire. He, he tried to get him from Minnesota when he first got here. So it's, it's there. It's established. And at this point, it just doesn't seem – it didn't seem like they were going to make him offensive coordinator. I think if, if – uh, you know, who knows what he his feelings would have been about, hey, do you want to be offensive coordinator at West Virginia or offense, you know, give him an equal pay, equal position, which one he would have chosen. I think it was more of a fact of West Virginia couldn't promise him that coordinator spot. Minnesota could. He's got that history there. He knows he's had success there. So he was willing to to make that move. Um, we kind of already touched on the signals calls plays because crow town here asked that question right, what do they need to do to change up signals calls and plays i said the indicator you said it correctly how much does he was he involved in the signal calls how what does he know so anything else you want to add to that no i, I mean he he knows a little i'm sure and he can get his hands on things if he really wanted to but he might also understand that like they're going to change their calls i mean even if he knows all of them He's not going to tell Minnesota them, I don't think, because you're giving him bad intel. Because if if there's, a, if there's any um, critical familiarity there, Brown's obviously going to change it up. So I don't I don't know how much of a factor that even is. He might not know a whole lot, and if he knows everything, they're going to change it. And then Smack Talking Ear asks the hypothetical: if if we were in Neil Brown's shoes, what would have been our plan? During all of this, would you, if your analyst was leaving to be OC of your opponent, would you start being secretive about the game plan? Would you talk to him, ask him not to be that, you know, the quote unquote code um, <laughs> with them being friends? What would your approach be to this entire situation? Well, the fine print of the code, Chris, and I have it in front of me. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I'm quoting directly. It does not apply to the guaranteed rate bowl. <laughs> it does not. It's, it's, it's right here. It's at the bottom. It's in a, a small footnote here. Um, so it's I understand we want to have this nobility, but like I don't know if people are paying attention to college sports or coaching lately. It doesn't really exist. I'm not saying this is like an an in, in noble, disnoble, unhonorable action. It just it's a coincidence. And can, just think about this for a second. There is a reality somewhere 
behind some wall or around some corner where West Virginia theoretically wants to name Kirk Sharaka the quarterback's coach slash offensive coordinator. But that means someone's got to go. And that could really harm your recruiting class. And if you make that move now, all of a sudden you got to do a lot of extra work before December or February or December and February. And that's dangerous, especially when you know people are coming from the outside and trying to peck at your class. So you don't do that. But then all of a sudden, that person that you have a plan for has a job to go somewhere where he's been successful and is comfortable. And you got to make a decision. And all of a sudden, it gets a little bit more complicated and you can't do it. It doesn't mean this won't happen. I'm not sure that Chiraka comes back to be the offensive coordinator anytime soon. It's not like it's not like they can put that genie back in the bottle. But you can see that this is a, a, a tricky situation there, too. So I don't I don't know that you can do anything different. Like, I think if you wanted him and you knew it, you wouldn't know it because Minnesota came knocking. You would have known it because you were in the room for six games trying to figure out, all right, what's better, what's different? Is this change that I've okayed working? Is this analyst doing something better, different, you know, hard to copy, hard to mimic, hard to replicate? And if they wanted that to be the case, I think they would have made that decision quick and then just deal with the fallout with some wins. That's how you deal with the recruiting aspect of it. So I would I would probably say that you really can't do anything. You can ask him, hey, don't tell him our plan. He might do that. He might not. But again, they're going to look at the film. I, I guarantee you that they have a team of uh, GAs or analysts or whatever in Minnesota that have a really good plan about West Virginia already. Not that it's not complicated, but that's just because that's what they do. I think in, in some extent, we're kind of like romanticizing the effect of what this crossover actually does. It sounds fun. It's kind of juicy. It gives some intrigue to a game. But I think you could pick apart every argument, just kind of say that, it's a it's a dynamic within a dynamic. Like they're gonna figure out West Virginia's tendencies and their plays and their personnel. One guy may expedite it, and you could ask that one guy to be cool about it, and not help, but it's still gonna happen. Uh, the second footnote in the code says all code rules are null and void when six figure salaries and fifty thousand dollar bowl game bonuses are on the line. There you go. <laughs> I see it right there. So um. <laughs> it's out the window. I don't think he's going to play. He might politely ask him not to do it, but I think he knows he's going to have to change it. And like you said, I think the, the biggest point to take away here is that he he almost can't, like you said, he almost can't tell them what they are. He can say, hey, you know, when they cross their arms like this, it means they're going to run this play because now it's changed. And then you're giving your guys bad information. And now that crossing their arms doesn't mean that. And, and you're throwing your whole team off and, wasting time and everything like that. So it's a delicate balance to to what you would even want to share in that situation. Yeah, good point. Um, let's see. Moving on, moving on, moving on. Let's let's continue. Let's go to the offseason a little bit here. This is from J. Mole, 1989. What are some things that you can see that may happen in the offseason? More transfers in and out, coaches leaving. What are some key position battles you see that we going into the spring and into the fall for 2022? Mike, what are, what are some big off-season storylines that you're already prepared to write about? Uh, well, prepared. Well, you're going to see portal stuff, and you're going to see players who skip the bowl game. I don't think that's earth-shattering. The quantity or quality, that's a that's a conversation. Um, you and I were talking about this beforehand. The quantity slash quality of players who have left since the start of the off-season, so basically after the Liberty Bowl, that's a pretty big number. Um, what do we have, 24? Four scholarship players. Yeah, we. I, I think I st- we started that count on January first. So since this this calendar year, twenty four scholarship players have left for West Virginia. Yeah, and like that's that's almost a full recruiting class. And I, we don't have to get into like is that is that bad? Well, okay, but who are you losing? And it's it's a range of players. So again, quantity and quality. But you're losing players that you you put time or money in to develop and recruit. And you, not only that, but you got to fill that. It's hard to get to 85 as it is if you're healthy. And when you're, when you're leaking players, that's harder too. So that's, that's, that's an issue there. So you, you really got to retain players now, recruit, retain, develop, and, and recruit and develop aren't too valuable. If you can't retain that, that middle piece is kind of the keystone of the whole plan, especially when you fancy yourself uh, a developmental program, which it's true, but like you have to, you have to get that retain part. So I would think that, yeah, portal and players skipping the bowl game bowl i don't really care about that one there i mean i care but like i understand that but the recruiting thing on your roster i think is something that might need to be a storyline because let's say that there's three or four or five players there who are looking to leave 
And like, what if one of them plays the Z position? <laughs> like, like, for example, I haven't heard anything to this. I'm not breaking news or starting a story. But like, what if Caden Prather wants to go home? You're screwed at that one position and your receiving room is really bad next year. So if he's having like homesick feelings, you got to say, I got to keep this guy. So you got to recruit your own players there. That's that's not an option in the question, but as I was going through that question and I was thinking about some of the numbers we're talking about here, I think you really have to be aggressive now more than ever about recruiting your own players. And that's not necessarily from the NFL. If a guy wants to go to the NFL, he can make a bad decision, but you got to give him the information. That's the best you can do. You can try to talk him into it, but he's going to listen to his people oftentimes more than the coach. But if you got a player who wants to transfer, you really, really, really have to work now to keep him. So that would be one thing too. And I think in some regard – your staff is similar too, but you really need to be honest with yourself about the staff. That's the one thing too. Like you can make changes and you can make it work. You don't have to be stuck to coaches because of contracts or allegiances or history. And this is unfair, but it's applicable. If you look at what Baylor did from two and seven to 11 and two, that is a dramatic shift. And they changed a ton on offense. They went from an air raid, Larry Fedora, to a really good, really physical run first with BYU's offensive coordinator, offensive line coach. And if you think about BYU in 2020, you think about Zach Wilson, but that was not what Baylor did. They changed philosophies completely. They got behind a really good offensive line that did not have nearly the acclaim in the preseason that it does in the postseason. And they won. I'm not saying that you do that, but like what I'm saying is you can make changes to become a better team. And sometimes it requires committing yourself to a change with your coaching staff, too. And you have to be honest with yourself about that, too. But also, if you have a chance to lose a coach that you really, really like, you have to recruit him. You have to try to keep him. You can't keep spinning that wheel, your own carousel and your music, because sooner or later, that carousel music, that starts to sound like clown music and circus music, and it doesn't look good. You got to make sure that you're you're keeping everything in-house and under your big top, so to speak, because you don't want to keep having that happen. So the less that you can let get out from a personnel standpoint on the field or on the sideline, I think is really good. And then you got to be really careful about who you bring in, too. You can't miss on coaches. You can't bring in a coach who's going to leave after one or two years. You can't bring in a transfer who transfers. You can't bring in a recruit who's, you know, maybe an 11th-hour person who isn't very good and who ends up transferring or not contributing or bringing a guy that you don't know so well, but he's got a bunch of acclaim, but he ends up transferring. You got to be sure that you're not letting people out once you get them in. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 100%, and that goes with the transfer portal as well. Like You can't miss on the transfers. This is something uh, we've talked about a lot over the last couple of years. That first class, I think it was. With Neil Brown, I think he hit pretty well. I mean, there were a lot of contributors on that on, out of that group of guys that came in. Um, and you get a wide receiver, punter, uh, quarterback, a couple quarterbacks. You you were finding guys all over the place. And that included Alonzo Adai, I think, was in there as well. So mm-hmm. safety, you know, you had guys coming in that were contributing. Next round, next year, round of transfers, not so great. I mean, if you're getting transfers. When we talk about recruiting and you're getting high school recruits, if you hit, quote unquote hit, if you get contributions on 50% of high school recruits, you are doing one hell of a good job. If you are doing 50% on transfer portals, that's bad. That's not good. So so you really need to hit 100% on these transfer things. Um, the other side of this is I, I also want to point out that a lot of the fans, you know, the people that are asking these questions are getting concerned about this. They're seeing the numbers. As you noted, we all tried to figure out the number of transfers for a lot of people, started picking random schools, schools that have had a lot of transfers. And West Virginia is up there. Um, I don't have an official list here, but they are up there as far as scholarship players that have left this calendar year. But always the, the, this, this is the part that I think people keep forgetting, or a lot of fans keep forgetting, or at least the pessimistic ones. There's always a backup plan. There's always they all the, the coaching staff is not 
standing around with their pants down going, oh, oh, God, what ha- what's happening? What's happening? They, they, they've made a move, a counter move on a lot of these on a lot of these decisions that have come up lately. You know, Justin Williams, the high school recruit, decommitted within a few days. West Virginia had a former four star Clemson running back transfer on board. Bam, committed. Um, question marks about what's going to happen at safety. Boom. Former four-star Clemson transfer Joseph Charleston's on campus for a, an official visit. He hasn't committed, uh, but West Virginia is in a good spot there. Vandarius Cowan leaves, and and depth is looking bad at linebacker. Bam. Lee Lee Coba, uh, former Syracuse player, former WVU commit out of high school, who has been tearing up the junior college ranks, commits, taken care of. Uh, Parker Moore, backup offensive tackle, uh, elects to transfer. West Virginia goes out and is recruiting a 24-year-old former BYU uh, Mormon missionary who is a junior college standout offensive tackle. He might be visiting next weekend. You know, again, are all of these going to work out? Do you want to have to be scrambling like this? No. But the coaching staff does have a pen in place. They do have backup options. And some of these options may end up being better than the ones that are leaving or decommitting or whatever. So uh, I think the the freak out over the numbers, maybe not a freak. Let's let's not make it a freak out. Let's make it an area of concern, but know that there's also some positive things that are happening at the same time. There you go. It's a good spin. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the work did, never did, stopped. Did I do a good job as a PR PR there for the uh, the football team, Mike? No, I think it's I think it's good too because again, if if you're spitting out players, you're not the only one. Other people are spitting out players. So someone's going to be out there looking for players. So it, it, it spins around, but like there's, there's openings, there's chances. Like when there's a vacancy, it's got to be filled and you have an opportunity to. So that's, that's a perfectly good point. Yeah. Um, speaking of the transfer portal, this question from 2146 year, uh, is there better talent available that West Virginia can realistically sign through the transfer portal or through high school? And two, if you were the head coach at WVU and understand the specific recruiting hand you were dealt, how would you balance the transfer portal in your recruiting efforts? That last part's interesting. I think that I know that they want to have like a numerical split in a lot of places. And I don't know what the proportion would be, but I would think I would probably lean more toward like where I would want my transfers. And if I'm going to take X number, I would want a lot of them to be like obviously mature players so people who've been through weight rooms and seasons and off seasons and all that which would make me think that like offensive linemen and defensive line would be good but also like there's there's something about playing corner that i think if you come from a place where you've got some experience like look at charles woods is he the most talented player no but he's been a pretty good part for that secondary this year and that's a guy who played a lot and and is a mature kid for a variety of reasons but also because he played a lot and had all americaners at the fcs too so I think I might concentrate where I put them and that might not be popular, but you know, if I can get older players who have experience and are stronger and, and can help me on my offense and my defensive lines and maybe at a position like corner, I would think about that. I would like to have skill position players for a long time. And you might say a corner is a skill position. And I get that, but that might be one you have to plug in because you only have two on the field at a time and you really might not only play more than three in a game, four in a game. So I would like to have skill position players. So I would look at, and I think that there's more of them available that you can develop and get a lot of bang for your buck at receiver and running back and tight end and maybe corner. But I would probably look for my high school players or the welcome to go there. I might take a mature experience impact player at receiver or running back or corner, but I might also want like a bigger proportion of them to be high school players that I saw them play in a similar offense or defense in high school. Um, I like their, their, physique and their potential to grow and to become this type of player that I have in mind or that I see on the field in my depth chart, I'm going to recruit and retain that player. I think I might lean that way. So I know there's a split in numbers, but I would probably pay more attention to the positions of where I want them, which again, I don't know how popular that idea or even how reasonable that idea is. So you're not going the Jake Spavital route and signing all transfers. So I'm you're not telling me? doing that. I'm not doing that. Now, if I'm trying to keep my job, I might bend the rules a little bit. I, yeah, you can't, you can't go all the way that way. I would, but in West Virginia's position with their status in the world of recruiting, 
and maybe this is a harsh reality for some people, maybe some some of you listening already know this, that very rarely is West Virginia going to walk into a four-star or five-star kid's house and beat out Alabama, Florida, Miami, et cetera, and take a recruit. They are more likely to get said recruit after they don't find the starting, you know, a starting job right away at Alabama or Georgia or whatever. Uh, they can end up pulling those kids a year or two later in the transfer portal. So for me personally, if you gave me 25 spots, 25 counters for a class, my split would be not quite 50-50, but pretty darn close. I would go 15 to 10. And like you said, I would concentrate those 15 high school kids on positions where I need to develop players that, are, that, are, that need more development, guys that you, that you can kind of roll the dice on and try to develop over the course of three to four years. And, and then the other 10 would be um, exclusively almost transfers, guys that I can bring in that have one, two. Because that's the other thing, you know, you always hear when you talk to recruiting people that work in athletic departments, they always stress got to balance the classes, got to balance the classes. And that's one big reason why they don't jump all over a bunch of transfers all the time. But in today's world, in today's transfer world, you can balance the classes out of transfers because guys are coming with one year, two years, three years, four years. Um, so I, I think you can put more of an emphasis on there. And for schools like West Virginia, that can occasionally jump in there and beat some of these top programs for recruits, but not all the time. I would put lean more on the transfer portal than, say, the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. They're not getting Lynn J. Dixon in high school. No, exactly. That that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Yeah, I like it. It can work. But and and that's why you never give up on the on the recruiting of the relationships either, too. So I'm not sure what chance they have with him in high school or the safety either. But if they just cut him off and said, "Well, hey, good luck in Clemson," um, it would not be a good situation for them now, where they're kind of needy, but they're in a position to need. But they might also get redeemed because they kept it going. Again, yeah. it never stops. Yep, yep, yep. Um, let's see, what's next? Uh, you, oh, man, you ready to talk about the bandit? You know how much are we, are like we ever? The... <laughs> this one from Luke Zoolander, 01. We currently have just two scholarship bands, bandits on the roster with Bartlett and Hammett. Which do you think is more likely, that A, Koba, Lathan, or Collins is also put at bandit, or B, we bring in another bandit from the portal, or C, we just stick with Bartlett and Hammett at Bandit in 2022. Have you seen Hammett? I have. He's not Bartlett or or Cowan. Never mind. But like, I, he's a different player there. He's like a safety. Yeah, he is not thick enough to be running Bandit right now. Now, could he play it as like a, a different look there? Like, could he be the Bartlett to Cowan? Because Cowan's not as big as Bartlett. Cowan, actually, Cowan grew up quite a bit, so that may be, maybe not applicable anymore. But I don't. There's a variance there that doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what you're getting out of Lathan or Collins as a true freshman at that position, because that's a position you got to be a man out there to play that position the way they want it to be played. Um, you think Koba's a bandit? Mm, no, nah, I was thinking of him as more of a Mike. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know who's going to play Mike. Um, if Stevens comes back, that's a guy that could be a bandit. That's what, that's the thing. I think that's a good move. I think given his what he did well at Maine, which was rushing the passer and getting in the backfield, I think it, he could be the bigger version of a bandit. I guess my question here is, I mean, do they need to reinvent the wheel here? Like, do they have to have a bandit? Like, why can't they play like four two five? without a bandit, like four defensive linemen and two linebackers, or why couldn't they play four, two, five, but like with a, again, he's not going to be here, but like Scotty young playing linebacker or something like that, where you, you do something different. Why couldn't they play? I guess it would be like a three, three, five, but with, a, with three linebackers or something different. Could you, do they have to have that? Because I don't, I mean, no offense to Bartlett who's had some good moments. I don't know what they're missing from, I would say pretty good defenses the past two years without the contributions of a bandit. Maybe they don't beat Virginia Tech. That's fair. But maybe they get those plays from a Sam linebacker or something, too. So I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe they can go out and get somebody that comes in and plays. That's such a specific need, though. I don't know. 
Um, I could take a look at it in the portal and see the deal, but I think it's too much to ask a high school kid to come in. Don't think it's too much to ask a defensive end or an outside linebacker from junior college to come in. They might have something up their sleeve there, but um, I would think that they'll try to address it just because it is a spot on their depth chart, but I would think that if they don't add to it, you're going to see Bartlett and then like plan B, C, D maybe, as opposed to number two, number three at that position. Because they just don't make sense. The options on hand really don't make sense. Right. I, but the thing that does make sense is a 4 2 5. That's Good. what makes sense. Or 4 3. Just straight 4 3. Because, um, yeah, I mean, I. Because even the guys that were supposed to be kind of tweeners that could have been bandit, but maybe defensive end are pretty much, it seemingly, uh, Full defense bins. Like, I, I'm specifically thinking about Linnell Carr right now. You know, that's a guy that they brought in. Oh, yeah, he's going to be a bandit. Um, he could play bandit. He could play bandit. He's edge rusher. Seems like he's dead set on being a defensive end. And, and and they keep talking about him being a great edge rusher, being a guy that can get in the backfield. So I don't see that changing. But that that's another guy that maybe we rethink about how, how he's used in this defense and, and could be in that quote-unquote bandit spot too. Big stats too. Like there's there's something there with his productivity to look at that that it fits, but where does it fit? How does it fit? And how soon does it fit? Yeah. Um uh going back to the bowl game, this one from Dr. J. Mitch. In your opinion, is Minnesota's defense elite or is good great, propped up by the quality of opponents offense and ball control complementary offense? Happening to avoid I'm hoping to avoid another Oklahoma State showing. I would. I think Oklahoma State's a fair comp, except that Oklahoma State's defense played better offenses. I, I was stunned by this, and I wrote about this. Minnesota's defense had one first, second, or third team all-conference player. One. And it's top ten in four major categories. There are three defenses in the FBS that are in the top ten in total defense, scoring defense, rush defense, and pass defense. Georgia, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. That's pretty good company there. And you're thinking, all right, well, certainly those two are in the Big Ten. Um, we talked about how there are some good teams and good offenses in the Big Ten. Got to be a lot of gophers on the all-conference list. So there's 34 players listed on the three teams by the coaches. There, were, there was one tie on the second team. 33 players listed on the three teams by the media. One player. One. Was all-conference for Minnesota's defense. He made third-team for the coach's second team for the media. One, um, it's crazy, but 10 returning starters, 25 veterans, they hit on transfers. They just they use a lot of guys, which is a lot like Kansas State. I think Kansas State's a pretty fair comp as far as as far as far a team goes and a game goes. Their offense is not unbeatable. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's offense is probably better than Minnesota's and Kansas State's. The defense is, I'm not sure, they do different things, but they don't sack, get sacks. They don't turn you over. They force a lot of punts. They don't see a lot of plays, so they're not disruptive. Um, they don't get you on the ground behind the line of scrimmage. They don't take the ball away from you, but they just don't get moved. And this is one of those things where if you can stay out of your way and you can just kind of run your plays, you have a chance against them. But that's been the story the entire season. Again, they've been on a heater. Six games with 300 and fewer yards in the Big Ten. Like, I don't care. Like, your, your six worst Big Ten teams are going to be better than, like, some of your best group of five teams or some of your best power five teams too. So it's, I wouldn't water down the competition too much. I think the big 12 is probably down offensively and the big 12 is probably the big 10 is probably underrated offensively, probably close to even, I would guess, but collectively elite individually, not a ton of elite players, no big numbers for sacks or TFLs by any player, but they just do their thing. And you're right. Get a ton of help from time of possession. They hold the ball for 35 minutes a game. They run the ball a ton. They're effective at it. Uh, they hold their defense out an awful lot. All right. I'm going to put a damper on the, uh, the the six games, straight games of under 300. It, it can be qualified for sure. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, because we're talking about Northwestern ranks 116th in total offense. Illinois, 111th. Iowa, what are they, 123rd. Indiana, 124th. Wisconsin, 86th. That's the last five. I think Maryland was actually pretty good. 31st, 32nd, somewhere in there. 33rd. Um, so that that might put a little damper on that. But as far as the whole thing goes, you look at it and the time of possession, the uh, the the or and and the number of plays. 
that total defense number, yeah, fourth for total yards per game. You're like, oh, well, what about yards per play to make up for the fact that they're not getting that much? It drops some, but still pretty darn good. Still top 20 uh, at, at less than five yards per, per play. Uh, only 20 teams in the country can claim that, so it's not like there's some scrub defense that's just being, again, having their numbers inflated by the slow pace of the game. So it's not going to be easy. Um, and and <laughs> what what was the over-under on that? I, I wrote the daggone story. I can't remember that. I mean, how, how much are we going to go under on this? Like in this game because oh. <laughs> yeah it started at, at 40 or it's 45 right now and actually that hasn't moved I, I again i know a lot of people don't want us to keep going to the whole vegas thing but one the over under is set at 45 points which is very low but hasn't moved has not moved at all yet i see uh, 44 and a half in a couple of places but 45 would be the lowest over under for a West Virginia game this year, tied with Baylor, uh, which by the way went way over. Um, Baylor hit but, 425. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, real quick, side, side tangent Minnesota opened as a six and a half point favorite, and the line is all the way down to four. Big money coming in on WVU. Thoughts? I thought it was that was the number initially. Six, it started at six and a half, uh, according to Harris. Six and a half in favor of Minnesota before it even got that. And they released it at like nine o'clock at night before it even got to midnight. It was down to four and a half. And now it's at four. How much do you think Letty Brown opting out is worth? You think it's worth like two, three points? I do. I do think it's worth a, a point or two. Yeah. But I wonder, like. I, well, I mean, ask because it, like the run defense is so good. It might it might not be that much of a dynamic, but he's been. Very good for West Virginia's offense this late half, late third of the season. And, but again, I, I, I mean, Vegas is smart, and I feel like most smart people realize that the chances of Letty Brown playing in this game are pretty small. I mean, I, I don't want to speak out of turn here. There's been no official thing. The the closest thing we've gotten to an official statement about that was Letty Brown's uh, social media post before the Kansas game, saying it was his last game or last time suiting up for WVU. So, but I, I I feel like he's probably not. And I wonder if Vegas has already kind of baked that information into the number to begin with. So I don't know, but yeah, a lot of movement, a lot of money coming in on West Virginia. Somebody I, knows something. If I can counter your counter on the, the schedule. Uh-oh. Well, no, it's a good point, but this is what's kind of fascinating to me about this game. And maybe we're trying too hard, but like, those numbers relative to the competition, they tell a story, but that's what you're supposed to do to those offenses. Like you're really supposed to strangle them. And you look at what West Virginia has done offensively and you're like, well, TCU can't stop the run. Texas can't stop the run. Kansas can't stop the run. That's what you're supposed to do to those defenses. So that's kind of a fun dynamic here is that West Virginia's offense isn't great, but does what it's supposed to do to certain teams. Give them credit for that. Right. And then Kansas's defense maybe great or excuse me minnesota's defense may be great but it's hard to tell because of who they play but that's where you're supposed to do those offenses too so something's got to give there we'll see but i think that's that's kind of a it's not irresistible force and the movable object because one of them is going to resist and get moved but um you can't you can't take credit for what they're supposed to do i think sometimes but i think it's a really good point you can really qualify the success of west virginia's offense and minnesota's defense based on the deficiencies of who they played When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You want to take a you want to take a basketball question now? Let's do it. All right, we'll make it simple, straightforward. Maybe not so simple. Preston County, Taz Sherman, NBA player? Question mark. Would have laughed. Ridiculous question. Would have laughed a couple years ago because the defense 
just isn't there with him. I don't think he, I think he tries or whatever, but I also think that it's kind of silly for him to expend himself on defense too much. Cause he's got to play and, and play really well offensively, but I don't know how much his defense is there, but man, that, that doesn't really count as a, too much of a strike against guys anymore. I think if you're like a, an in-between player, like you're six, nine, you're not a seven footer and you're not six, six. If you're a really good defensive player, it gives you some chances because you can play above the rim or you can switch different positions. But the guy scores, man. Like his his ways to get to his shots and to get to the foul line are really impressive. And it's not it's not going to be a one year wonder with him. I mean, guys are going to know that there's four or five seasons of him doing this now and, and getting better and better. And I wonder how much he can do with the ball in his hands and how much we'll see with that. So I would have laughed it off before because just like he's not big, he's bigger now. He's probably like one ninety five. I would say one ninety. Um, I'm not sure he's six four. He's not a point guard, but he can play the two. And if you're looking for a guy who can come in and get heated up off the bench for you, is he a starter? No. Is he an all-star? No. But, like, why couldn't he be, like, a rotation guy or a guy who, you know, it's an injury or it's a road trip or something like that. And he's a valuable guy to have because he can get you points and he can get you offense. And, really, you're talking about offenses in the NBA now. with Like, teams scoring, like, 130, 140 a night. They're winning by 72. Defense is not a marquee trait anymore. It's great if you have it, but if you don't have it, if you can do other things – You've got a chance. I think he'll be in the conversation for sure. It would not surprise me if he played in NBA games. Yeah, he scores. He can score. He can create his own shot, and I think that's very important in today's NBA game. I'm curious about how he'll measure in, like if he gets invited to the combine and stuff, because yeah, he's not six four. I don't. I don't believe him to be actually six foot four tall, but that can be. It, not as big of a concern if he measures out with incredible length. I mean, what, what was it that Deuce measured out? I mean, he's like, what, 6'1", six, 6'2", six, but then his his actual wingspan was like 6'7". And, and and that kind of stuff, if you can do that, if he measures in like that as far as his arm length and everything goes, that could help kind of negate any kind of height concerns because, yeah, I mean, a lot of times your typical NBA two guard is 6'6". Six, six. You know, you're looking for a little bit longer longer guy, so... I, I'm not sure, but I do think the fact that he can score might solve a lot of those problems. It's going to need Sean McNeil, too. I wouldn't If you start doubling Sherman, all of a sudden his his hesitations and his slippery moves are, are harder for him to get to and to get off. But if he's got a second score out there in the perimeter, you really can't shade and hedge toward him as much because he can just pass it and McNeil can hurt you, too. So be very interested to see how defenses deal with Sherman because he's he's just so good at getting to his shot it doesn't matter where he gets it if he starts with the ball if he gets the ball left side right side he's going to get a good look somehow or he's going to get up the foul line he's pretty good at that I want to wrap up my side of things with, with a little bit of a more fun question but do you have any others on here that you wanted to uh definitively talk about here on no, the podcast we've covered a good bunch and, and all that we covered a lot by running our mouth a lot at the beginning too so pretty <laughs> pretty happy with the product today Chris okay uh, this one kind of started with a question from, from Leighton again. Um, and I'm going to follow it up with a question of my own for you. Cause he asks odds that one of you falls asleep during the bowl post game pod. And it just hit me. This was pre team up between you and I. So do you remember where you were and what you were doing during the cactus bowl? The last time West Virginia had a 10 30 start time. I was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the locker room was open. And I talked to David Sills for the first time because he was a freshman who was not allowed to talk to us during the season. But the locker room was open and they couldn't tell you who to talk to and who not to talk to. And I was able to actually get a pretty good story out of him and his year and, and kind of had an indication he'd be leaving after that game. So I was there for that one. It's a rare. I honestly can't think. Any other time that wasn't a bowl game that I've been in a locker room covering West Virginia because those are postseason games that have to open them up. And sometimes they don't. Um, when they played, what year did Shannon Dawson leave? That would have been – would that have been the – what bowl game was that? Would that have been the Liberty Bowl again? Yeah. Yeah, so he went to Kentucky, right? Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. But I remember talking to him, and the locker room wasn't open there. But I, I mean, my point being that I remember being in there and talking to people – and being like, oh, cool. And then that, that was like the first time I actually talked to David Sills. I talked to his parents. I talked to his 
quarterbacks coach. I'd never talked to him before for a story. And I talked to him about his season and how he never got to play quarterback and he liked being a receiver, but that the dream was still there and he would go on. So yeah, that was that was a late night. And I think I had an early flight the next morning too. No, I stayed one more day because that resort is awesome out there. If you're ever in Scottsdale, try to check out the Camelback Resort there. It's awesome. But I was there one more day because it was a late start. Um what do we do for this pod? Are we gonna have some fun? <laughs> is it Who knows? Like- I I just went back and looked at at at, at the the headline manager, the key for all the stories, but went all the way back to that night, that game, and it's just me. I was working solo at the time, and I have stories going up at three eleven in the morning, East Coast time. And the the actual gamer went up at two forty one a.m. Photos three eleven, some more stories at five twenty five in the morning. God, did I stay up? Just like stay up all night? I can't even remember. That's like when you get up. Yeah, that's like when I go to bed. It's gonna be weird. <laughs> it's gonna be. Little, it's gonna be a little, long night. Little CRC after dark. Yeah, who knows? Hey, I, I, I'm not expecting a forty three forty two offensive shootout like that was that night that kept it kept it going till all hours of the morning. But um, man. Could be interesting. That was a that was a long night. I was trying to think of the the first bowl game that I covered for West Virginia in person was that miserable pinstripe ball. Were you at that one? I was there, and and I have a different recollection of that. Like I, I say this all the time, I want an A or an F. Like I, I want to remember the game. If we're gonna cover <laughs> them and go do them, give me something that's uniquely distinguishable. And that was definitely that. I'd never covered a game outside before like that. It was cold. We were getting snowed on. Like I had to clean my keyboard off a bunch. Yeah. Um, it was a tough week just to get around, like to go from where they had us in, in Brooklyn to the Fordham campus, which I believe is the Bronx. Yeah. It's not a very far drive, but in a blizzard, it's bad. And it was a blizzard that week. Like the snow was bad. And you're just like, well, this isn't good. But like, it was, it was just something different. Something I'd never done before. And maybe we'll never do again, knock on wood, but it was memorable for me. And the game was the game was an F. The experience was, I don't know if it was an A or an F, but it was it was one end of the spectrum. I don't <laughs> I don't like C pluses. I don't like 40 degree days. Like give me something that's like different that's gonna be rememberable. And and that that cactus bowl was was kind of like that too. Um I want to say it started after eleven. Yeah, because I think it started late too. Yeah. I remember that. And the game was all right. Like Skylar Howard threw for five hundred and thirty yards. It was fun. It was amazing. Yeah. Like, that's one of those things like you're going to remember that too. So just give me something like that. Like it's, oh, it's a reward. I don't care. You do. I get that. But like if I'm going to be up and watching this thing or if I'm going to be you know, out there working it or if I'm going to be in a uh, blizzard in the Bronx or twilight at, uh, in, 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 what is that? Uh, it's Phoenix, right? Yeah. Chase mm-hmm. Bank. Um, give me something different. Yeah. And that was in a baseball stadium too, which is much different than my prior experience of covering a football game at a baseball stadium. So just, I don't, I don't need the C plus. I don't need the 40 degree day. Give me, give me bright and sun or give me like, freezing and and snow well the good news is i think the open air press box of a baseball stadium is going to be a lot better in phoenix than it is in new york city in 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 december so yes retractable roof too yeah i i I think uh wait so you must have been okay i'm trying to think of who all who because there was a certain row the the back row of that press box in new york not to get off on too big of a tangent here but because they got the heaters by their feet you had to be special oh, yeah. to sit on that row. Um, I, I don't think either of us qualified for that row. I, I think I was like, time. I'm, I, I must have been, if not front row, second row, because again, I had to like, I had to like shovel off my keyboard. Yeah. I was typing in gloves, which was not easy. I think I had gotten maybe like a pair of like cell phone finger gloves for Christmas. Cause that was right after Christmas, right? Yeah. Um, and then they gave us, I think like a, a pinstripe bowl beanie, which I still have, but like that was extremely valuable that day. Uh, and no coffee in the press box. And they charge for food. I mean, I don't want to be, be dogging people, but I mean, can you, there, there was an uproar, whatever it, they charged for that buffet that was back there for, oh. for the media room. Yeah. Not a good look. I'll say this too. There were not me, of course, but there's some shenanigans among media that week. Just leave it at that. They knew who they are. I hope they're listening. Uh, just one more thing before we go. Run times for Minnesota games this year. 
329, 322, 305, 316, 309, 326, 311, 255, 312, 326, 309, 330. Their longest game this year was 330. Still, still, you add that onto a 10:30 start time, three hours. You're talking 1:30 in the morning, at best. A little 40 minute pod. Oh my gosh, this is gonna be bad. What's happening on the 29th? Anything? Trying to think. There's no basketball game. Is there? I hope not. And, uh, January 1st. So yeah, we can sleep in the next day. Oh. I'm gonna study the Northwestern tape because that one was 41 to 14, but I checked in at 255. If we can get that done, I'd take that. That's an yeah. A. That would be an A. This is an A, Chris, for another always, Q&A episode. Always is. Uh, plenty coming up on the site. Basketball interviews today. Big game tomorrow. We'll look more into Minnesota, what they do on offense and defense. We'll have our whole regular game week rotation at some point leading up to the game. Um, but basketball kind of front and center for a while. Got a chance to pump up the net with a win against number 13. But also, they really got to beat soundly with a margin of defeat. Probably Kent State and, sorry, Jared Calhoun, Youngstown State. Um, and then... Sneaky game against UAB on the road. Listen, four games coming up. These are going to be important for them before they go into conference. But it wouldn't be unusual to see them be 11-1. But, man, if they took two losses here, too, that wouldn't be a shock. It would also be detrimental to their postseason cause, too, because the Big 12 looks pretty tough, doesn't it? Yep, it sure does. Uh, as I say, they, some of the teams that uh, I don't want to say we, but I and a lot of other people probably thought were not going to be very good this year are looking okay. I don't know if they're, they're world beaters, but looking okay. Good coaches. And again, like if you thought that you might be able to climb a ladder because of turnover on a roster or the sideline, a lot of those teams are doing their job to make sure it won't be so easy. So at the very least, it's complicated. But that's a long way from now. We have plenty coming up on the site. Bowl games, non-conference basketball. Keep pressing F5. You'll find something new, something you like, hopefully. Until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you next time.